Well, good morning. That was good. That the the, the worship team so awesome. I, I threw that song on them midway through the week, and they said, "You know what? We think we can do that." And um, you know, th- those aren't things that just happen. They have to practice and work. And so I really appreciate their willingness there. And man, I. I'm so thankful for the Oak Grove family. The, the amount of people that it's taken to put on the play last week, to put on the living nativity this week, to, to, to do all the things we're doing in the, within the body and reaching out to the community. I'm just, I'm, I'm proud to be your pastor. I'm proud to be a part of what's going on here. But let's, let's pray and let's, Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time and that he would speak to us through, through the word. God, I, I pray our souls would magnify your name. And right now that through your word, you would speak to our hearts. God, and that you would glorify yourself. You would reveal sin. You would, you would expose where we're not walking in faith. You would challenge us. And you would sweetly restore us, that we would walk out of here in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to be in Luke chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to start in verse 26. So we're still in our, our Christmas series. The, we're, we're celebrating the glorious king. We've looked at um, the, the king foretold in Isaiah. We've looked at the, the, the eternal king last week in, in John 1. No, not John 1, Colossians 1. Both of them are talking about the deity of Christ. We're fine. And, and this week, we're, we're looking at one whose heart was prepared for the king. So we're going to see in Luke 1, Mary. We're going to look at her life. And we're going to find that Mary's posture of her heart was that of obedience and humility. And God, God chose to do, I believe, a great thing through her because of the posture of her heart. Um, the text this morning is going to show us what happens when God uses unlikely people in unlikely places to do unlikely things. Certainly, we're not Mary. God is not choosing to, to uh, have his son come, come through our wombs. Like that, that's, that's not what I'm saying this morning, but what I am saying is um, I think we can learn from her example of, of her obedient heart, her humility, and her expression of worship that we're going to see. So let's, let's set the scene before we jump in. So God had been silent to Israel for 400 years. So the last time God spoke was through the, the prophet uh, Malachi, and one day I'm going to say it wrong, Malachi, my, my roommate in college, she had one of those real obnoxious senses of humor. He's like, the Italian prophet Malachi. Now, Malachi. Uh, so the last time he spoke was through Malachi, and he'd been, he'd been silent for 400 years. And in that 400-year time, they had been ruled by the Persians, Alexander the Great. Yeah, none of these people are famous for being nice people, by the way. The Persians, Alexander the Great, the Egyptians ruled over them again for a time. Then um, there was this famous revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. Y'all probably heard a little bit. So the Jews rose up and they basically uh, 
ruled themselves for about a hundred years. They, they, they threw the Persians out, but, or uh, not the Persians, the Syrians, but that was not a good time to be alive. Lots of people died while the Maccabees were uh, in charge. It was kind of a, a time of civil war and civil unrest, so not good. And then finally, the Romans come in. And the Romans are known for ruthlessness. That's what they're known for. So these people are desperate to hear a word from the Lord. And God speaks to this young woman in this town in the middle of nowhere, out of the blue, out of the silence he spoke. So let's read uh, 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So, um, oh, I missed a part, and her name was Mary. Um, what we're going to see here is a heart of worship and, or a, a heart of obedience. Luke here, he's such a good storyteller because he makes the case of how unlikely it is that this, this Mary would have been chosen by God. So the first thing we see is that Mary, um, she's, she's a virgin. Scholars believe that she was probably 14. That's kind of the median age in the ancient, the ancient Near East of, of young women being married. And she was from an area called Galilee. Galilee was not well thought of. Neither was Nazareth. Remember, um, I think it was Nathaniel when, the, when his brother comes and says, hey, I think I met the Messiah from Nazareth. He's like, nothing good came out of Nazareth. So like Nazareth, not well thought of. But Nazareth really, it was a four-way stop to nowhere. I grew up in a little town called Kirbyville on Highway 96. You weren't going there on purpose. Now you were going through it, but you weren't going there on purpose. That's kind of that's the idea. Nazareth was in Galilee. Nobody wanted to be in Galilee. Latin, Nazareth was, was a small town out in the middle of nowhere in, in Galilee. And that's, that's who this woman is. That's where she's from. Uh, and she's, she's going to be married. She's not married yet to this man named Joseph, and we know that he's a carpenter. So God sends this angel to this girl, and, he, and this is what he says in verse 28. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this must be. So when, when y'all think of angels, don't think of like a little cute naked baby with wings. Like these things, every time they show up, people think they're dying and they're like, uh, wait, 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 don't be afraid. Like we know we're scary. And um, he, he tries to encourage her. He's like, you're a favored one from, from God. You're, you're, you're okay. But uh, she's, she's trying to understand what's going on. Put yourself in her shoes. Remember, these are real people in real time with real emotions that, okay, we know the ending, but she didn't. And when we don't read like this, what ends up happening is this story becomes very boring and very mundane because we know how it ends. An angel shows up to this girl and begins to speak on behalf of God after silence for so long. 
This is, the, this is exciting. This is the most exciting news in history. So verse 30, let's look. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord will give, you, uh, will, will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. So the angel tells her, uh, tells her that she's going to be pregnant. And, and the baby's name is going to be Jesus. Now, remember, we're reading back into history. Uh, imagine standing there as Mary. Mary's trying to grab on to the pieces of him. Like, if an angel shows up and speaks, you're taking note of what he's saying, right? So she's grabbing on to the pieces of information. So first, she's, gonna, she's going to be pregnant. Well, she knows she's a virgin. The second thing is that, that this, this child, his name's going to be Jesus. Now, for us, Jesus is, is a, a name, and we think Jesus, his, his name, you know, Jesus Christ, like Christ is somehow Jesus' last name. No, Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. But Jesus, that name has a meaning. It means the Lord is salvation. So what she knows about this baby thus far is that this is going to be immaculately conceived. There's going to be a miracle inside of her. And this baby's name is going to be the Lord is salvation. So the next thing um, revealed is that this, this child, the, the one who's going to be the salvation of the Lord, he's the son of the most high. So God is, is putting his son in the womb of Mary. And remember 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, like, trying to wrap her mind around what Jesus, what, what this angel's saying about Jesus right now. Bless her heart. Like how, how does she, outside of the Holy Spirit, just moving on her and letting her understand, like I would just be standing there confused and, and, and shocked. So the angel, he goes on to say, he goes on to tell her that this, 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 the, the one who's the salvation of the Lord, who's going to be the son of God, is also going to receive the throne of David and his throne will have no end. So, all right, there are a couple of, of key, if you want to understand the Bible, understand the covenants. The covenants tell the story of the Bible and this is referring to what's called the Davidic covenant. Depending on who you ask, there's five to seven-ish covenants, okay? And um, this Davidic covenant is one of the most important passages in the Bible because it's the promise of what this, it, the covenants kind of unfold what this Messiah will be like. And this covenant says that he's going to reign forever on the throne of David. So let's look at 2 Samuel 2, uh, 7. It'll be on the screen for you. So in your house, in your kingdom, he's talking to David, shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne shall be established forever. So this Jesus, the one that's going to be the salvation of the Lord, this is the one that's the son of the most high. This one is going to be, we, we may not have caught it at the beginning, but she understands this is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming back or this is the one who's coming to set up the throne of David to fulfill the covenant of God. Like this is an exciting moment for her. And 
So how can, David, how can Jesus sit on David's throne? Well, the, the book of Luke tells, or the book of Luke, the book of Matthew, you know that long genealogy everybody kind of thinks is boring? Well, there's a point. It's showing you that Mary is in the line of David. Also, Jesus' adopted father in Luke, um, here in a couple of chapters, it's going to go through Luke's, uh, uh, Luke, Joseph's genealogy. Joseph is Jesus' adopted father. Well, when you're adopted, you take on the line. So on his mother's side and adopted father's side, he is in the lineage of David, but also because of his heavenly father, he can sit on that throne. So that it, that's what all... The Bible is this beautiful tapestry of events and stories where God is unfolding how he's going to bring this Christ about. Like all the Old Testament stuff, it all applies. And we're, we're, we're going to, over the coming years, be working on that. But let's, let's keep looking. So again, you got to ask questions. Be a good reader. So how can, how can this baby in her womb have a kingdom and, and reign on it forever? She's got to be asking this question, like, how, how will my son reign forever? Well, he's eternal. He's the son of God. He's divine. Jesus is God. Mary finally speaks, and when she does, it's a very reasonable question. Like, she, she, she's not like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what she does. She, she just, it's a very reasonable question. She says, well, you know, how will I have this eternal king, son of most high, Lord of salvation? Because I'm, I'm a virgin. And um, that's where we pick up in verse 34, if you will. Look with me. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit's about to do this miracle this, and, and conceive this child. And this child, his, he's going to be called holy. So here's the thing. This word holy, um, a lot of connotations, but specifically the word means set apart. Set apart for a specific use. Like, so um, when they built the tabernacle, they brought like all sorts of objects in. Some of it was like forks and spoons. How is one fork made from a forge holy and the other one made from the same forge not holy? Well, one has been set apart for the use of God. One, one, one is uniquely different. That's, that's, the word holy specifically means uniquely different, but uniquely different, set apart for the use of God. This, this child, the, the virgin birth matters because it's set, he's the only one born, that has came into the world this way. And it's proof that he is the son of the most high God, okay? It, we, we, don't need to, we don't need to pass by that. And Gabriel, he assures Mary that God's going to do this thing by, by this phrase, and it's beautiful. Nothing's impossible with God. But here's some things I want us to, to take away from this real quick. God's call is not always convenient, amen? It was inconvenient for God to, to go to this young woman 
and ask her to carry a child for nine months. It was inconvenient for him to come at a time when, when, when she was engaged. Imagine all the thoughts that you might have. What will my betrothed think? What will my family think? What will my community think? It would have been very inconvenient because remember, we're in the first century ancient Near East because this woman was engaged to be married that actually counted as part of the marriage, even though they weren't actually married yet. For her to come up pregnant, the town could have drug her outside of the street, uh, outside in the street and stoned her to death. That would have been inconvenient. It was inconvenient for her to raise this child for 30 years. If you want to think about like things that may have been inconvenient. But sometimes when God shows up and he calls you to do something, it's going to be inconvenient. Many of us have what I call open door theology. If the door is open, we'll walk through it. That's how we know God's calling us to do it because he's already made the way. Well, remember, we're reading this backwards in the history. Mary does not yet know that Joseph's gonna be okay with this. Mary, like, Gabriel doesn't say, hey, in like a chapter, I'm going to show up and talk to Joseph and he's going to be fine. <laughs> She's just stepping out in faith. This open door theology is, is really... Um, paralyzing, I think, for a lot of Christians. Because we, we, we and don't get me wrong, I, I believe that God makes a way for us. That he, he, he makes things easy sometimes. And, and sometimes situations are, are clearly like, you're like, okay, God, based on the circumstances, I believe that God's doing all this. But often, God's call is, it's inconvenient and it's, it's scary. I think God leaves you with all the what ifs because that's, that's, that requires faith. And you have to decide, will I be obedient to follow or will I only follow if it seems convenient? Walking by faith doesn't come with a roadmap. Walking by faith says, I'm stepping out and I don't know where my foot will land. I mean, for all Peter knew, he was about to be an anchor at the bottom of at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, right? Faith looks like stepping out not knowing what the other side holds. When 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 we do this, that's that's when we see God start moving in power, when, when, we, when we start moving in faith. I mean, I'm reading Exodus in my, my quiet time right now. And, you know, God, God, God does the, the miracles. Then, then God, God says, all right, follow, follow me out into the, to, to the desert. It, like, trust me in this too. Then, then, then Egypt starts following him and, and there's not food. And he's like, hey, trust me, in, here's, here's manna. Hey, the Egyptians are getting close. The, the greatest war machine in the world, they're getting close. Trust me in this. I've got this. Faith looks like not knowing what the other side holds. That's faith. 
my prayer from this, for this church since the day I heard about Oak Grove. Like this is pre-interviewing with, with the team. Since the day I heard about Oak Grove, I was praying for this body that God would use an unlikely people in an unlikely place to do an unlikely work. But the thing I know about this for it to come true is it's going to require each and every one of us to operate in faith and not fear. To trust in God's promises rather than in man's premises. Man's premises say, it, this doesn't look like it's going to work out, so I'm going, to, I'm going to come back over here. God's promises say, step out on the water. You don't know what's on the other side, but go ahead and take a step. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm up here saying big things, but while I'm saying them, you got to understand, I feel my heart rebuked. But I desperately want to see God move in us. So here's the question. Are, are we going to be a people who are obedient, that move? Or are we going to be a people who are paralysis by analysis? We, we, we've got to make that decision and we've got to put that, that stake in the stand or we're just going to be frozen. I pray that, I pray that we have a response when God calls as brave as Mary's. Let's look at verse 38. I mean, God has just put a, a, big, a big ask on her life, <laughs> right? This, this is her response, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary was willing and Mary was obedient. This young girl's so, so, so brave. She says, God, I'm in, come what may. Because remember, she doesn't, she doesn't know how this whole thing's going to end. She says, I'm willing, come what may. I'm, 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 I am a servant of the Lord. We don't really know much about Mary from the Bible. I know we talk about Mary a lot, and there's a lot of like folklore made about Mary, but we don't know a lot about Mary from the Bible. But I like, I like how the angel identifies her here. It tells us a lot about our character. If you, if you go back to the very beginning, it says, he, he says to her, oh, favored one. I think that's noteworthy to her character. God can use anyone, but most often, I believe he uses those who are walking in an abiding relationship with him. Oh, a relationship, the word abide just means remain. A, a relationship where we are remaining with him in prayer and in the word. And, and that's the kind of woman Mary was, or young lady at this point. As, as we are praying for what the Lord is going to do through us, and we pray for how the Lord's going to use us, we must be a people who abide with God in the word and in prayer. Y'all are going to get tired of me before too long because most of my application is the word and prayer. Like that, that's it. Like that's, that's, that's the Bible. Like how, how do we figure this out? Through the word and prayer and waiting on the Lord. Some, some of you might be frustrated that God's not used you 
like you felt like you, you should be or could be used. You feel like you have all these competencies, but God's not yet chose to use you like you want to be used. And you got to understand me, I've been there. Daily crying out, God, why not yet? Why haven't you used us yet? Why haven't you used this church this way yet? And looking back on this side of it, I, I believe the answer is because my, my character had not yet matched my competency. You can have all the competency in the world, but if your character is not matched, I don't believe that God's going to use you. And if he does, you see a lot of, it's been popular in the news of late of pastors falling right and left, right? And I believe it's because their, their competencies outpace their character and they relied more on competency than character. What is character? What is character as far as the word is concerned? It's this abiding relationship. And when, when, when our characters out, when, when our competencies outpace our character, that's when you see pastors fall. That's when you see Christian leaders fall. That's when you see churches make that liberal drift into theological liberalism. That's when you see churches make this stance of, okay, we kind of feel like the Lord's moving us that direction, but we're gonna stop because that's not how we used to do it. We know what works. We would rather rely on what works than what God's calling us to do. And here's the thing. We assume all growth is kingdom growth in a church. And that just simply isn't true. We can run 28 services in a weekend. And we can have tithe out the wazoo here. Giant buildings, giant cash, and the Lord not be in it. Kingdom growth comes when lives are transformed by the Holy Spirit through not programs, discipleship and prayer and reaching our neighbors and the nations. That's when kingdom growth happens. It's not fancy. Too often we, we judge God's work through a church by the ABCs of church. Attendance, buildings, and cash. Attendance, buildings, and cash. If that's the case, the Pharisees had it going on, didn't they? They had the temple. They had synagogues on every corner. They had all the cash. They were flush with cash. And what did Jesus call them? A den of thieves and whitewashed tombs who look like they have life on the outside, but on the inside, they're decaying and dead. That's, that's, not, that's not who we want to be in the Lord. If we want to be used for God to build his kingdom through us, if we, want, if we want God to glorify himself through us, we must learn to abide in him. And we must begin practicing getting alone with God and, and being able to understand and discern the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something. There's no fast forwarding to that. Where, where does God say he speaks? in the stillness and in the silence. So I think, the, I think the greatest enemy of the church right now is busyness. If you're honest, like your days are, are jam-packed from 
Like you wake up running and you go to bed. Like at, there's, there's no margin in your day. You're too busy. All those things don't have to happen. You need to go to work. You need to love your children. You need to raise them in righteousness. You need to go. I didn't say anything about softball or select league or, or, or soccer. And Hey, those things are great. But you need to make sure with balance that you're not just giving God your margins. You're setting time aside for him. So let's, let's spend our time on things that are character building. And that's why we're going to practice that from in the season of prayer and fasting from January to Easter when we meet together. And we'll have more about that. But I want to be a favored one by God. And I want that for you as well. And I, I hope we can, we can give the brave response of Mary when we hear the voice of the Lord when she says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I'm just telling you, God, the, the words of this 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl have broken my heart this week, feeling challenged. But let's, let's look back at the text. So we're going to jump to verse 46. So what we've skipped is Mary goes to her, uh, her, her, her Aunt Elizabeth. Elizabeth, as she approaches the child in her womb, who we know is the, uh, John the Baptist, jumps for joy. Holy Spirit comes upon her. She then prophesies over Mary, and Mary breaks out into this song or this prayer. So we're going to take it in two bits. The first bit's uh, 46 through 49, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish the prayer out, okay? So, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like, put a pin in that. That song we sang at the beginning, most of the lines come from this prayer, okay? Um, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he looked on my humble estate of his servant and for behold, from now to all generations, I will be called blessed for he who is mighty has done a great thing for me. Holy is his name. 40, verse 46, she says, my, my soul magnifies the king. It means she's just bubbling over with joy like a magnifying glass. Her soul is making, making God giant in her life right now, okay? So the, verse 47, she repeats the idea, but with more clarity as to why God is being magnified and made great in her heart. She's rejoicing because God is her savior. She, she's expectant of the work, that the, the saving work that the Lord's gonna do. And you know that song, Mary, did you know that you're... No, she didn't know all those things. She didn't know that he was going to walk on her. She didn't know. All, the only bit of information she had at this point was what the angel had told her, and it was not that he was walking on water yet, but had a good idea that he was coming to save the world and going to fulfill the line of David. That's what she knew. Um, she knew that, God, that she was going to be the salvation, that Jesus was going to be the salvation of the Lord. Other than that, she didn't know. But what she did know, she rejoiced in. And she's waiting with expectation of how the Lord will bring salvation. 
And we on this side of the cross, we've experienced the salvation of the Lord. And as, as her soul was magnifying and, and overflowing with joy, awaiting what God would do, our hearts should reflect that in waiting the coming of the Messiah again. Because remember, the first time he came and he hung on the cross, the second time he's coming with a sword. But before that, he's so gracious. Like we, when, when we get mad at the world, we're like, Jesus, come back soon. Every moment that God waits is God's grace. Because there are millions and billions and billions of people on this earth that don't know Jesus. And every moment, people are coming to him because God has sent saints like you to them. So I know we get mad and I know that's our response, selfishly, but every moment's God's grace. And while she waited, she was hoping, and she waited for nine months to see that baby. Like, the work that God called her to do was kind of mundane. Like, she's just waiting. Oh, now I have a baby. Then the next work is, is mundane. She's, she's, it was 30 years before Jesus did anything. It looked like a lot of diapers, a lot of meals, a lot of prayer. But it was 30 years before he did his first miracle. We are a part of how God is, is building his kingdom. And as we wait for how he's going to unveil it, we should be, we should be waiting with, with this expectant joy as we, as we bring our children and our neighbors and the nations to meet them. Because, look, here's the deal. Probably tongues of fire aren't going to fall on your head and you go share the gospel to your neighbors. It's going to look like you're keeping your yard clean, respecting their property, and then you creating a relationship and you going and sharing the gospel with them and they'll get changed. Like, that's kind of mundane. Like, it's mundane that God would say, uh, all right, we, we have a daughter, raise her, and eventually, over, over a lifetime of sharing the gospel, she might get saved. Like, that, that, that's, it's a day-in and day-out ministry. Mary's ministry was a day-in and day-out ministry. But as we wait for the Lord to move, we must operate in obedience. I mean, could you imagine if... if, um, if if Mary was sitting there playing on her phone while Jesus was, was playing, by the, playing by the Jordan River? Like, that's a, that's a, that's a river. We, we would think she would be derelict in duty, right? And you're like, well, her, her, what, she's, what she was called to do was so important. What God's called you to do is so important. And we can look at that situation and say she's, she's clearly distracted. What does it look like for you to be distracted from God's call on your life right now? Because God has called us and we're so just consumed with our phones, with our hobbies, with our kids' hobbies. Now, hey, each one of those things can be leveraged for his glory. Like when Ellie gets in team sports, I'm gonna be trying to evangelize the parents. Like leverage these things. But at the same time, we're not to be derelict in duty. So let's, 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 let's keep looking at verse 47. 
For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, before that, at the very beginning, she calls herself a, 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 a servant. Like, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant, do as you will. Well, that word means, that word in Greek is doulos, and that means slave. I'm a slave to God. Like, she, she's, she's over and over talking about her humility, and she, she is being holy, but she do, or, uh, she's being humble. But she does recognize that all, all generations are going to, to call her blessed. And look, this isn't like a humble brag, like, you know, I was just so put out that the Lord showed up and just chose me and not you. And I'm going to, like, hashtag Mama the Messiah. <laughs> oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'm, I'm the favored one by God. I'm, but I'm just recognize my, holy, my, 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 my lowly estate. That's, but she, 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 she says, I'm lowly. She calls herself a servant. But she does know, like, God put his child in my womb, and he's going to change the world. So she does realize that, that she's going to be blessed for, from generation to generation because, like, she's attached to this one. But notice she doesn't raise, elevate herself over God or over, or over the, the son. She just recognizes who she is with that. And, and traditions and people, when they elevate Mary over the son and over the father, that's not even something Mary did. She, she would be aghast at that. So um, I, I love the phrase, he who is mighty has done a great thing. God sent his son for us to save us. He, he stepped out of heaven into earth to, 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 to die on a cross on our behalf. But let, let's, 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 let's keep looking at at, at, at verse 50. So now we're going to take this next part and we're going to see her worship, the heart of worship. We've already been seeing it. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he's shown strength with his arms and he scattered the proud and the thoughts of their heart. And he brought down the, the mighty from their thrones and exalted the thrones of, uh, of those in humble estate. And he's filled the hungry with good things and the, the rich he sent away empty. And he's helped his servant Israel in remembering his mercies as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So I want you to see that her, her worship is connected to how God's revealed himself. It's connected to promises in the Old Testament. So God's mercy, she says, is from generations to generation. His, his faithfulness for the last 2,000 years, we've seen that, right? We've seen his mercy displayed there. But how was it displayed pre-cross? Um, well, in the Old Testament, this is, this is often a question. People were saved by grace. They were saved by faith alone. Now, it was faith in the promises that they had. So I wanna, I wanna show you, if someone were to ask you when the first promise of Jesus Christ in the Bible was, what would you tell them? And... This is going to be one of those passages I pray that we stamp on our hearts because it, it interprets much and most of the Bible for us. It's Genesis chapter 3 is the very first time Jesus is promised. Genesis 3.15. So let me paint the scene. Adam and Eve had sinned. Death, they came, it came into the world. You remember God, he was walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. 
and he starts to call out to them, where are you? But they ate the fruit and they knew that they were naked. And they tried, to, it explains their nakedness as shame. They try to clothe their shame with, with fig leaves. You'll hear some people call it fig leaves of righteousness. Like, what? fig leaves aren't hiding anything. And finally, God calls out to him. He says, why were you hiding from me? Well, Adam says, we ate from the tree and we knew we were naked. And then God begins to curse them. And he curses Adam, Eve, and the serpent. But in the middle of the curse, there was a promise a promise of redemption. So Genesis 3, 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He's, he's talking to the, the, the woman and to the serpent. So the serpent of, uh, the, the, the serpent, the, the, God, God, God promises the snake crusher. And that, that baby in the womb of Mary is the ancient snake crusher that was promised. You know, we see, we see the snake strike his heel, right? They hung Jesus on a cross. They died, that Jesus died. For, for two days, it seemed like the wound was fatal. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and in so doing, he conquered that ancient serpent. Now, one day, he's going to conquer him once and for all and throw him into hell and throw away the keys. But in that moment, when Jesus rose from the, day, the grave, he reversed the curse. That now we don't, we're not destined for hell because of our sin. Instead, salvation is available for anyone who believes. Je Jesus is the reverse of the curse. This is the, 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 this is the promise and the mercy of Genesis 3.15. And look, Genesis 3 also, it doesn't end with, it doesn't end with just penalty. With them getting kicked out. Genesis 3, 21 picks up this way. And the Lord made for Adam, and Eve, for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. He doesn't make them walk out in their shame. Jesus takes the life of an animal and clothes them, foreshadowing what Christ would do. Listen to me. When, when we walk into heaven, when, when we come to faith on earth, it's no longer our righteousness that we wear. It's no, we're no longer covering ourselves with fig leaves trying to make ourselves look good to God. Maybe he won't notice that I'm a sinner. No. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to earth, died, and he put his righteousness on us. The sinlessness of Christ became my sinlessness and your sinlessness. And if, if you're here this morning and you're fearing that moment when you meet the Father, as you should, I want you to understand that salvation is available for you today. If you come to Christ, there is now no condemnation. There is now no fear of coming to the Father. He will accept you as a son or as a daughter. So let's, 
Let's, let's, keep, let's keep moving through this passage. We're, we'll, we'll end here in verse, uh, verse 54. Let's read verse 52, and, and we'll, we'll stop at verse, verses 54 and 55. Um, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted and humbled um, and exalted those of humble estates. He's filled the hungry with good things and the riches he's sent away. Uh, he's sent them away empty. Pretty cool. We're not going to talk about it, but this is reflected in the Sermon on the Mount by Christ. Verse 54. Um, he's helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So, so what she's doing is she's already brought up the, the covenant of David, uh, the angel did. And she's bringing up, how, this is uh, reminding us the covenant of Abraham. And I told you the covenant with, with Adam a second ago, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. If you'll look at uh, the screens, Galatians 3, 7 says this, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The promise to Abraham was there would be one who would bless all nations through him. And that is the God-man, Jesus Christ. All nations have the opportunity to be blessed. And he also said, I will bless those who bless you, talking about the, the lineage of, of Abraham. And he says, I will curse those who curse you. Cursing Christ looks like not accepting him for who he is. And the curse of God is death and hell. And that we're celebrating and we're singing all these sons about this one who came because he's made salvation available to those who believe. Salvation is here this morning. But let me wrap up with this. Mary, Mary lived a life. Her heart was willing. It was obedient. She was humble. She worshiped. And God showed up in her sensitivity. Uh, and God showed up because she was sensitive to his call. To his call. She wasn't numb to the direction that the Lord was leading. Church, if we don't get silent with God, our hearts will become numb to, the, to his call. Let's learn from Mary's example. If, if you will, let's, let's uh, bow our heads. And I just want you to reflect. And the band's going to come forward, and, um, or Brandon, and, and then I'm going to pray.